I can tell you how I feel about Mr. Night and Day. Hey, hey. I can tell you how I feel about Moon Night and Day. What's up, y'all, and welcome to Day and Moon Night Podcast. This is a Carefree Black Nerd review over Disney Plus's newest installment, Moon Knight. Uh, before getting started with anything, if you have not watched the first episode of Moon Knight, there will be spoilers. And even if you have, I'd like for you to take a step on back to Carefree Black Nerd's Guide to Moon Knight. Now, if you have watched the first episode, or if you have not, make sure to check out Carefree Black Nerd's Guide to Moon Knight to get yourself uh, up to date on that Moon Knight news. So that being said, guys, I am your host, Rain Coleman. This is kind of a pop-up podcast, considering this is a limited series, only six episodes, introducing Oscar Isaac as Moon Knight. Now, when you're listening to this podcast, and when you're watching Moon Knight Live, and when you're doing your little live tweets, if you have thoughts, opinions, controversial, or the other, use that hashtag D. M.K. Pod. Ooh, day and moon night. The lonely stoner sees to free his mind at night. So, I am still cautiously optimistic. So, we go into the first episode of Moon Night. And boy, oh boy, is this a doozy. So, um... Quick little back backstory or synopsis. A former U.S. Marine struggling with disassociative identity disorder is granted the powers of an Egyptian moon god. But he soon finds out that all these newfound powers can be both a blessing and a curse to his troubled life. This series follows Grant, Stephen Grant, excuse me, a mild-mannered gift shop employee who becomes played with blackouts and memories of another life. Stephen discovers he has disassociative identity disorder and shares the body with a mercenary, Mark Spector. As Stephen slash Mark's enemies converge upon them, they must navigate their complex identities while thrust into a deadly mystery amongst the powerful gods of Egypt. Now, I um, have my concerns with this series. I've let those be known. Um, I think that this is one of the series that you could easily kind of mess up on because there are so many different kind of intersections within this one character and the series at large. But I think from my perspective as someone who is not um, in the different identities that is presented in the show, I enjoyed it. Um, it's not without its its issues, and I am going to kind of look for people who are dealing with mental health issues, specifically disassociative identity disorder, if that is even something that's publicized, um, and figure out, you know, what does the mental health community feel the um, about this show? Um, and about the first episode and whatnot. So I don't have any updates yet, but I will be looking for them. And if you guys listening do have any sources or know of any conversations around the show and people who do um, either have or are closely connected to this condition, please let me know or tag me in it. Use that hashtag DMKPod so I can be privy to some of these conversations. Because again, as much as I think I'm going to enjoy this show, I'm just I'm not trying to step on the toes. So this first episode I thought was really, really interesting, really interesting. Um, Oscar Isaac did what he needed to do. He he showed up and showed out. Um, my issue 
from the first episode kind of lies with Ethan Hawke's character. Uh, he's very much Raiden from Mortal Kombat. He's very much, not to say he's doing a bad job. I, okay, whatever. Let's, let's start with, uh, Steven. Now, Oscar Isaac plays Steven. He's this very mild-mannered, shy, odd guy who is trying his best to, I don't know, just make it in this world. We'll say that. And I am... I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Um, he goes through this ritual at night of putting himself essentially in a cage. He puts this um, chain around his ankle, sand at the foot of his bed, um, and a few other things, all in the name of making sure that he is not running around day and night um, in his sleep. I don't know. I don't know that it was explicitly stated that Steven has disassociative identity disorder in the series yet. Um, and it couldn't have been because the ending is where the two personalities kind of meet up officially. And so I wonder if Mark Spector slash Moon Knight, because that's the Moon Knight vigilante uh, personality, is aware of his condition. Whereas Steven is not. Um, and even with that being said, I wonder who is the actual dominant, like, real personality. Um, because, of course, if you listen to Carefree Black Nerds, A Guide to Moon Knight, I go over the comic book and the uh, show's kind of depiction of Moon Knight, of Steven, and of Mark. But there are some liberties that are being taken. And so I wonder with the series, who is dominant, even though Mark is in the comics is steven the dominant is steven the actual dominant in um in the show so that remains to be seen so for episode one it's entitled the goldfish problem and man i'll say this even if you don't like the the show i feel like when it comes to the cinematography and the aesthetic of the show that's something that you can't really deny is done well even if you don't like the particular look of the show you can't deny that, they, that they've done a good job um, I will say, I'm not sure if Moon Knight is marketed as a horror series or if it's just like a thrilling, maybe psychological thriller or whatnot, but there, the horror element of it for me was two two things. The opening, where we get the Ethan Hawke character drinking a glass of, I don't know, like a shot of something, Breaks the glass with his little cane and then pours the glass shards into his Jesus sandals, his uncle barbecue sandals. Now, you may say, okay, well, why is that horror? And it's not even like body horror. It's just, I guess, that human um, aversion to pain that we have, like, just naturally within us. Seeing these little, I don't know, ugly feet, little chunky feet slide into these... I don't know, this, this, these Jesus sandals full of glass. That, I had a very adverse reaction to that. And I think that that scene was done really well as far as setting the tone for, like, shit that may possibly happen. Now, I don't think any other scene in this episode came close to the gruesomeness that that one did for me. And that's for me. Uh, but he stands up and walks across this, like, temple on his cane with the glass in his feet absolutely disgusting um there is another scene where we get 
Stephen dealing with, I'm going to say the manifestation, the visual, I'm not going to say physical because there was no physical contact, the visual manifestation of Khonshu like approaching him. And this is an image that we've seen in trailers. So this is nothing that's like spoilery. Um, but that, though I did see the trailer, I think that part of the show was done well. My only question now is, or my concern is, are they going to overuse Kanshu? Because he's a threatening, we'll see, I can't even say a threatening, a threatening force because he at times to me came off kind of comical. Um, so when Mark, when we're first introduced to not Mark, but the uh, repercussions of Mark's actions is when Steven and his little shy, nerdy, meek self goes to work at a museum his uh, boss, Donna, is like busting his chops. And there's this beautiful young lady. Forgive me, I don't have her name in front of me. But she is, uh, she's like, hey, are we still on for, you know, steak dinner tomorrow? And he's like, what? You asking me out? And she's like, oh, you're so silly, such and such. And knowing what we know about Moon Knight before the show started, it was easy enough to tell that that was probably Mark's personality that asked her out versus Steve's. But... That's neither here nor there. So the young lady, I believe her name is Layla. I believe it's Layla. Um, and he ends up standing her up, not on purpose, um, because something switched with his personality. I don't know if if it's literally like day and night where Steven is the daytime uh, persona and Mark is only around at night. I would imagine so. But again, with the show, they may try to do things a little bit differently. So... We see that Steven is having issues staying awake. He falls asleep on a bus on someone's shoulder. Um, he gets to work late. He's not not really given a tour, but he finds a young girl who uses a pyramid um, model as a trash can. And he, you know, talks to her, gives her a little bit more insight on um, different Egyptian lore. And while he's explaining to her, he takes the trash out of the the uh, the replica. And so he's they've done a good job at presenting him as this very meek, intelligent guy uh, who is maybe not as confident, but is very well versed in a lot of this Egyptianness of it all. He's very much into this culture, and so. He's going through getting his ass beat at work, not physically, but like getting his ass beat at work, as a lot of us do, dealing with microaggressions and whatnot. And then um, there's hope for him. All in all, I think this was a really good pilot. Now, where things pick up is where we get to see Mark, Mark's actions. So we get Stephen waking up in a field. Now, this man is in London, and I am so happy that he's in London instead of where every other Marvel character ends up in New York. So I'm so happy that he's in London. But where he wakes up, I don't recall them saying, I don't know if there was a tag on the screen with the location, but I'm going to say like Finland or Holland or some shit like that. Uh, and these like rolling hills that you would see on uh, The Sound of Music, whatever that is, the Dutch people. And so he wakes up and there's a voice in his head that's like, Oh, oh, good, the, the idiots here or something. And I I want to focus on that for a second because that is where I think 
we're going to run the risk of Khonshu being a f- comic relief and not a imposing, scary figure. And I don't know if that's maybe the intention of the show. Maybe they're like, yeah, we want this this character to be um, like Aladdin's genie or something. We don't want him to be a very terrifying son of a gun or whatnot and i hope that's not the case because i feel like with this character you definitely want him to be this scary um nightmare inducing person but there's this voice in his head and it's constant and it's conshu um mark gets into this weird situation where he's like he runs down to this little village essentially just trying to get back to london all of the people there are acting kind of strange um they're very Huh. I'd say they're the equivalent of every 80s and 90s movie that has a large group of people being mindless, controlled zombies. They're not really moving with haste. They're very, I don't know, kind of shuffling around. But the funny thing is, um, Steven is being chased by two, I'm going to say assassins, two killers. And they are very much moving just as quickly as he is and so i'm thinking it's clear that this is some sort of cult but i'm wondering if i feel like i'm making this harder than i need to be like are the the assassins the killers are they just hired help or are they also part of the cult who are using their position in the cult as like enforcers and whatnot, but they don't seem as docile and as like um, enamored with Ethan Hawke's character, who is the 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 cult leader. I don't know. Um, again, I may be thinking too much into it. Ethan Hawke's character, his name is Arthur Harrow, and he does this thing where if you've seen Valkyrie Valhalla, is something very similar to a scene that happened in that uh, show where he calls up someone to offer their soul for judgment for this Egyptian goddess. And there's a young man comes up, I don't know, maybe early 30s. They hold hands. Arthur's like, oh, you are a good man, and blah, blah, whatever. With the cane swinging, he, he walks away. Then there's this older woman, definitely in her 70s. And we do the same thing. He's like, yeah, you're a bad woman. You're evil, or some shit. I don't know. Her, He, like, sucks the soul from her body. So I'm thinking, like... Is Arthur's character surviving off of the souls or the life force of the people who this Egyptian god is deemed to be unworthy or evil? And then, I don't, it's, it was so weird because you have this white man, Arthur, Ethan Hawke, and this like vast um, community of like white people. There's some brown folks popping up here and there. But they're also in a place that feels, at least for me, from the outside looking in, and correct me if I'm wrong, like a Dutch or a very white um, little town community so far removed from anything Africa. And I bring all of this up specifically because this is odd to me. It's like set a, like, okay, like we're in, I don't know, Nigeria, and there is a slew of black people, dark skin, visibly black, black features, and then we're all in that community worshiping 
Thor. It's it just it just seems weird. Where like I I think the mythology is what's weird for me. Like the mythology and the location, the mythology of the Egyptian goddess, and then Ethan being the uh, kind of harbinger or the middleman when he's a older white man, and then you're in this space that seems like it's full of. It just felt weird. So the race to me, I don't have an issue with it, but it's just something that came off as like, is this intentional? Um, because I think it would have been easy to say put him, regardless to what the race of the caveat, the Arthur character is, it would be easy to put them in a Africa or Africa adjacent space. Uh, another thing to consider is with everything I just said is Ethan on sort of a world tour, and we just happen to follow steven slash mark into this leg of his tour like to me the initial thought was all of these white people in this little white dutch town serving this egyptian goddess but is this just like one stop on his tour of many places that we happen to be introduced so i don't know there's a lot there and i think i'm probably going to go overboard with some of the moon knight speculations and thoughts and ramblings more so than other shows because the very nature of this character lends itself to unreliable narrator and everything isn't what it seems. So I think this one, even more than WandaVision, even more than um, Falcon and Winter Soldier and everything else, even more than Loki to an extent, um, because with Loki, there is a magic rule, a magic system that's being followed with mental health. The rules are not um, as concrete because they do manifest in different ways with different people. In this scene, the 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 Steven is really played for comic relief. He has a scarab in his on his person that apparently Mark must have stolen. And now all of these people are trying to get it from his hand. Well while he's trying to give it over to Arthur, Ethan Hawk's character, his body was not allowing him to. And it's like Conshu is fighting against him. Then he has these blackouts and I love the blackouts. I love it. I love the way that that moment is edited where you see the transformation from Steven meek and mild being pushed into a place where his back is against the wall and he absolutely cannot do anything in the situation like when all of the cult lead cult members kind of converged in on him and there is this way in which his eyes go to the back of his head the the frame shifts a bit there's this like spliced visual and then you second later appear and like he's covered in blood because clearly mark took over i i absolutely love that i do i do it's violent um and i think it's a good way to get that vi i know we're going to get some some fight scenes in here but it's a good way to um gloss over the violence and have it still be impactful and effective uh now with that being said I don't, I'm not, I'm um, hoping I'm not coming off insensitive and making light of anyone's mental health conditions, but if so, you know, let me know. But uh, while he's running away from the people in the town, he gets on some like ice cream truck and is like speeding away. And it happens again. And I have to say in this episode, this, this split of transforming from Steven to Mark happened probably about a good five times. And I'll say at least at the time of this recording, I don't, I'm not tired of it. Like, if this continues to happen throughout the series, as it stands right now, I don't think I'll have an issue with it. I, I don't. And I, because I like the visual, and I like, as much as I want to see fight scenes, I do like the, the, um, 
the gaps in time. But then I'm also someone who grew up watching soap operas and who lives for a good old nasty, I was in a coma for 10 years, I woke up but I could hear everything you said. Or a motherfucker who has amnesia and now shit is starting to come back to him. Or a motherfucker that's like, oh, I had a twin brother and I didn't know about Like, so I'm, this is right up my alley. Regardless of what genre is presented in, I love this. So I'm cool with that. Let me know what you guys think about the um, the split, the transition from Stephen to Mark. Is it, you know, interesting to you how it is for me? Or are you like, okay, enough is enough. They've done this too many times. <laughs> Let me know. So we get uh, Mark. He, he lets Ethan know. He lets Arthur know. Excuse me. Hey, I'm not a mercenary. I'm just a regular freaking gift shop owner or worker. I'm just trying to, you know, get the hell up out of here, get back to London. He makes that switch again. Now, fast forward. Steven gets back, he wakes up um, on a bus or at home or something. He is up back at home and <laughs> he discovers that there is a uh, Motorola Razor phone. So y'all remember that? Jeez. And in the wall of his home. And it's so funny because the the way that his his home looks is like a loft apartment, loft studio, and everything about this show is dark, like literally, like visually, is dark. The wood grain, the the bedding, everything. But these wooden panels above his fish tank that are, they look like they're part of the set, part of the room, but they're like white or they're the, they're lighter almost like in the video game the old school video games where if there was some magic or some treasure to be found it was always in the one item that's like lighter than all the rest of the scenery and that's that's the look that this particular section of the house gave me um and so he gets a phone call picks up the call and some girl is like cuss him out Oh my God, I can't believe you. How could you, you've been gone. I've been calling and texting you since such. And she's like, why do you have on that accent? And he's like, what, what accent? So that's interesting. The young lady hangs up. And so now my mind's working. So I'm like, okay, clearly they lead two different lives. However, this girl had an American accent. I know we're in London. We're with other people who have uh, London British accents. And... This girl having an American accent and Mark having an American accent, is does this mean that that girl is in America? Is that how we get Moon Knight, you know, across the pond? Or is it just an American who's in London? I don't know. Whatever. Um, he also finds a key next to the white Motorola Razor phone. And... It's just the scene from the uh, from the trailer. Oh, my name's not Mark. Why did you call me that? So I do like that a lot of the trailer content we've gotten is within this first episode that makes me feel good because i know we have five more left and even the scenes and information we received in the trailer that showed up in the first episode was not anything that um it was spoiler in the sense that we saw something that was going to come later but it was a really good um it was out of context enough that when it pops up in the episode it's like okay okay i get that they i see what you did there um I like, I like, I like it. I like Steven, and I think I like Mark. So then uh, <laughs> Steve goes to work the next day, uh, talks to the security guard who calls him all out his name, Scotty or Stevie or some shit, and that's where Arthur shows up, and he does the same little 
uh, ritual that he did on the older lady and on the younger man in that little Dutch town. The other thing that I do like about this show is the sort of sleeper agents. There are a few people who are in the cult. They, I don't know if they're brainwashed or if they're just believers. Um, but they're in the uh, in the museum as well. And so where Steve is being approached by Arthur, he's scared and trying to call him off and he calls to the security guard, this guy comes and shows his uh, his wrist to show like, oh, I'm a part of this cult. The thing I, I, I like now, but I think it's going to get very comical and weird if it continues, is the way in which they show that they're part of this cult, which is to like lift up the sleeve of their left arm and and present their wrist where there's the little marking on there and the thing that makes me think i'm going to get tired of this quickly is there's a young girl young girl she's probably like in her 20s early 30s young a young girl who shows up and she's in the frame and you can tell that she's like maybe a part of this thing going on but it's not until steve tries to kind of walk away that she walks towards him a bit and reveals her wrist and something about the way she did it i was like okay the security guard i get that because steve's like god not you too you're you're the security guard i've known you for years but with her doing this there's nothing against that actress in particular but just something about seeing her i'm thinking like oh my god if we keep constantly throughout the next five episodes get just random pedestrians doing this this is going to get old pretty quickly so ethan does his little ritual and says that you know there's darkness within steven which of course there is there's mark and Kanchu, and they get to go over like some egyptian lesson about a uh, egyptian queen now this is another issue for me this freaking minority report ass storyline where Arthur is talking to Stephen, and he's like, oh, if, if this Egyptian goddess, if if she's tired of people waiting for people to commit sin, she wants to get rid of them beforehand. And if she could go back in time and kill Hilter when he was a baby, and he just starts listing off all these different tragedies that have happened across the world. And two things. My issue with this is the issue I had with Eternals and and pretty much every Marvel property, and I'll get back to that in a second. But my immediate issue is this idea of preemptive justice. I do not like that. That is not something that I enjoy. I don't like this idea that, oh, I know this person is going to commit this crime, so let me get them before they do. Because even though, regardless of how you feel and what your religion is, I do think of the idea of free will. Yes, someone may be predestined to, like, I don't know, murder a family, let's say, for the most extreme example there is. But who's to say when you get to that very final moment where the trigger would be pulled, that person then decides, no, I'm not going to follow through with it. And, like, if you go ahead and preemptively kill that person, it's like, well, we don't know. And not only do we, we don't know, but that person didn't technically do the thing yet. So, like, the thing still has to be done or else... Who's to say if you're lying and making shit up just to get somebody out the pain? Who's to say that you can't be um, kind of used? And who's to say that you're, you're being like this Egyptian god? Your justice is the most absolute and, and, and final and should be, um, I don't know, raised above everyone else. Because by that logic, like, should not, 
should Thanos have been killed when he was a bit like, I don't know. I just don't like that. I think that's um, when it comes to stories, it's interesting and I don't mind seeing it and seeing how the creator or the team decides to present it. But I don't really care for that type of, I don't know. What is that? A um, story trope? I don't know. Whatever it is. I don't like it. I do not like it. And so, I really don't like it because there's been so much shit that have happened in the world. And depending on where Moon Knight falls in the MCUs chronologically, there's a lot of shit that happened already. And that's happening right now. And then, like, also, who deems what being worthy enough to change? So, if we're looking at this Egyptian goddess as someone who is preemptively killing all these niggas and, and, and fucking shit up for people before they can do it later on, are you just enacting justice over say like a Hitler type or are you also enacting justice over someone who ran a stop sign and now that chain of reactions for them running that stop sign that stoplight does that ultimately end up with someone else innocent way down here being killed and what if it's something that's low stakes like someone committing a crime of like stealing a loaf of bread for their family like that's the I know that's the generic go-to um uh, scenario, but like keeping in mind, this Egyptian goddess is trying to stop crime and criminals and sin before it happens. It's like, what? I don't know. That's a slippery slope that I'm not comfortable with. So there's that. So let's take this a few steps back. One thing that I do get tired of when it comes to these comic book movies, movies in general, but specifically let's stick with the MCU is this idea that the transatlantic slave trade did not happen. Um, someone mentioned that it, uh, was mentioned in Black Panther, and I'm like, of course it was mentioned in Black Panther. That was a black production that had blackness all up and through it, from the creative team to behind the scenes to on the camera. So, of course, dealing with a millennia-old black, technologically advanced, Afrofuturistic society of course black people would include the slave trade because that's what we would do that's a part of our culture and especially if we're existing in this space in the mcu that is very much our own world just with superheroes if you can have pearl harbor if you can have hitler and all these other terrible atrocities that have happened throughout the world exist within the marvel universe where is the atlantic slave trade and that's not me crying and begging and wishing and hoping for slavery it's just let's not ignore the significance of the atlantic slave trade especially when it comes to these characters but you're doing it with these other atrocities and you're making it so that those things are very much in the forefront of the audience showing that this is bad shit that happened Fastos losing his mind over Hiroshima, but batting an eye at the slave trade is shitty to me. But again, that wasn't a black team helming that production. And so I, to use the argument of Black Panther, it's like, well, honestly, Black Panther, to me, that goes without saying. I don't like this idea that you go to these, and I'm not even saying that every single time a bad guy or a person lists the bad shit that's happened, you have to mention the transatlantic slave trade. But what I am saying is that for the one time that it shows up, is to be in the black production is very telling. Like, do you not, you being MCU, not think that 
well, okay, and especially kind of pissed me off in here in in Moon Knight because again, Ethan Hawke is a white man. He presents as a white man, and you're listing all of these terrible things that have happened. But like, sir, are we not going to also include all of the shitty ass stuff that have happened to black people since? we've been brought over to this damn place because are we not because if we do recognize that do we have to look at a lot of the superheroes in this universe and a lot of the real world people in this universe as being villains as well yeah it's just like ah, i just i don't and i don't know what the right answer is but i do know that it does i don't know it's kind of weird to me because it's like well ethan i mean arthur are you how old is this person? Because y'all know how I do and every other person on black Twitter. <laughs> Whenever there is a hero or a character who has been around for eons and they have all this shit to say, my first thought is, where were you during the slave trade? Diana, where the fuck were you? Captain America, where the fuck were you? Like, so that's that's the, that's where I'm going with this. And that's my own um lived in experience uh fueling that and i'm sure i'm not alone and i'm not calling for the boycott of this show because they didn't mention the slave trade i just find it interesting that every time we do get these damn near immortal characters it's not mentioned but you you're you're highlighting and you're mentioning and you're bringing light to so many other atrocities that have happened and again it's not oppression olympics but if we're existing in the mcu which is very much adjacent to the real world we live in and we can highlight and mention and focus on these other things that have happened where the fuck because it's not like you have 600 damn brown and, and black specifically black characters floating around the mcu who give top billing who are uh given yeah, so but whatever let me i digress i'll just say this i'm watching this show going forward with a very raised eyebrow i'm still enjoying it even with my critiques i enjoyed the first episode i'm very interested to see what comes next all things considered i think there's only maybe two other glimpses of scenes that i've seen in trailers that have not appeared in the first episode and i also want to see this mystery unfold and then what happens with moon knight at the end do we get more personalities do we just have the two and then how does this character fit into the larger Marvel Universe, knowing that we have Doctor Strange and Loki Season 2 coming. So, that's that. Y'all, let me know what you think. What are your thoughts on Moon Knight? Did you enjoy it? Did you like it? Did you hate it? Were you like, fuck it? Are you part of any of the communities that are being represented in this show? And if so, what are your thoughts? If you want to share, please use that hashtag DMKPod. I'd love to know if this show has done a good job or not. Um, as it pertains to this um, this character and these issues. And um, yeah, so again, when you're listening to this episode, use the hashtag DMKPod. When you're watching Moon Knight and when you're tweeting about it, please use that hashtag DMKPod. Let's make this a conversation. Follow me on Twitter, Carefree Blurred, Carefree Black Nerd on all other social media. If you need to email me, carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. And until next time, y'all, stay carefree, stay nerdy, Stay geeky so that I can tell you how I feel about Mr. Night and Day. Let me tell you I feel insane. Hey, hey. I can tell you how I feel about Moon Night and Day. <laughs> All right, y'all. Stephen. 
There he is. Hello, man in the mirror. I know you're scared. A bit, yeah. I know you're confused. You weren't supposed to see any of this. What are you? Sure you want to know? Mark, you look different. I can't tell the difference between my waking life and dreams. Am I like some sort of secret agent? It's a little more complicated than that. We protect the vulnerable and deliver justice. This is the best, worst day of my life.